Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is Me Dota Pop Culture uh, mini series, uh, uh, class uh, two out of four here at Web Yeshiva. Um, and uh, today's topic is fear, or more specifically, confronting fear. And there's a lot to say. It's a basic part of the human condition, but uh, I thought I would we would look at a few examples. Uh, of different approaches to uh, to fear, different different insights, uh, and um, uh, hopefully you'll have something to uh, uh, to think about. And of course, a bunch of things we're going to, a bunch of the ideas we're going to see uh, contradict each other, but that's okay. Uh, different approaches. Let's start with some uh, with some pictures of what we're going to be uh, uh, looking at uh, of the sources that we're going to be uh, to be looking at. We'll look at a brief quote, a uh, brief, very brief scene from the uh, um, impressive movie uh, uh, Inside Out from uh, from Pixar about the emotions, uh, the little voices inside your head, and uh, and we'll focus very briefly on fear, uh, who looks kind of cute, but uh, he's uh, very anxious. Uh, we'll uh, we'll discuss one particular episode of the uh, the new Batman Adventures animated series. Um, We'll look at a few uh, Torah quotes, one from Rav Shlomo Volba. This is a portrait uh, of him, um, uh, something from uh, one of my teachers, Rabbi uh, David Ebner. Um, and uh, we'll end up looking at uh, a couple of approaches to horror from Stephen King. This is what Stephen King looked like in 1975. He's a, a little older now. Uh, look at quotes from uh, from his books, uh, Dance Macabre, uh, about, which is about horror, and uh, and the introduction to his collection uh, Night Shift. Um, if the, the, a few of the quotes, like the following one, we, we'll get to where we won't. Terry Pratchett, uh, the author of the Discworld series, um, Ray Bradbury. Uh, we have a, a quote from uh, from from his book Something Wicked This This Way Comes. Uh, here's the cover, or the cover of one of the editions. Anyway. Um, and uh, I want to speak about uh, something from the Harry Potter book, book the uh, Bogart. Uh, this is this is a picture from uh, J.K. Rowling's official site, Wizarding World. A picture of a Bogart appearing as a banshee. I want to speak a little bit about a uh, Bogart and what that tells us about the nature of fear. Um, then there's uh, Professor Shira Woloski and the book that we 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 mentioned this in the, we mentioned her book in the Harry Potter uh, session several weeks ago. But uh, I want to look at something that she says about uh, about Bogart. Uh, then there's Trenton Lee Stewart, who is the uh, the author of the Mysterious Benedict Society. This is either we'll get to this quote or or we won't. Then there's Lois Lowry, uh, famous uh, children's book author. Uh, one of the books that she won the Newbery uh, uh, Medal for was this one, Number of the Stars. We have a quote from uh, from that book. Rabbi Avi Weiss, we mentioned him uh, last week, and he wrote a book called Spiritual Activism. We have a quote from there in which he discusses the uh, the Abarbanel. Then there's Madeline Lengel, uh, who wrote lots of uh, books, uh, children, uh, young adults, uh, adults, but she's most famous for this one, A Wrinkle in Time. This is one of the earlier uh, editions of it. Um, if we have time, we'll see a quote from uh, from the book Times Square Rabbi by Rabbi Yehuda Fine. Then much more recent is Veronica Roth. Uh, this was when she was in her 20s. She's in her 30s now. She is the author of Divergent and the uh, the books in that series. Uh, we'll look, uh, assuming we have time, we'll uh, discuss some of that and maybe even uh, watch a uh, video uh, clip. 
then there's Frank Herbert, the uh, author of Dune and the sequels. Uh, this is the first cover, one of the early covers of the first Dune book. We have a, a, a quote from that. It's not just a quote. It's a quote that about fear that has impressed so many people that people put it on T-shirts. This is the famous litany against fear. You might have seen this T-shirt even if you haven't read the, uh, the Dune book. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll spend some time on a relatively little-known comedy uh, called uh, Defending Your Life. And uh, which is all about uh, being responsible for uh, for fear. If we have time, we'll uh, we'll throw in uh, something from uh, a uh, the children's book series Geronimo Stilton. This particular one, Four Mice Deep in the Jungle, involves him uh, over being confronted, confronting, being forced to confront, and therefore overcoming a bunch of his uh, of his fears. Okay, so we have we have a lot to uh, uh, to talk about, and um, so let's uh, let's go directly to the uh, uh, a brief scene from just like one one minute or so from um, from the beginning of Inside Out. Inside Out, of course, uh, focuses on inside the mind of this uh, preteen, and the, the main characters are joy and sadness, uh, and the main plot of the movie involves joy. Uh, learning to to appreciate the the value of sadness, but there's also ang uh, anger, disgust, and uh, and fear. So even though fear is not a, a an important important character relatively relative to the other ones in this movie, uh, they introduce fear. Joy, who's the the narrator, introduces fear in an interesting way. Uh, let's look at a brief uh, brief quote now. Just a minute. Optimize. Uh, right. This is from uh, this is from the beginning of the movie. Uh, when Riley, the main character, the the girl whose head the the emotions are in, she's still uh, a little kid. Okay, here we go. Very nice. Okay, then got this. Very good. Oh, that's oh, no! fear. You can really do that, keeping Riley safe. Easy, easy, huh? Oh, we're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we're back. Okay, that was a very brief uh, scene, which uh, I have the uh, the dialogue for that for that here. the the key uh, The key line uh, for uh, for our purposes uh, is that Joy dis introduces fear by saying he's really good at keeping Riley safe. And the, in other words, even though we're going to uh, discuss how fear is 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 bad and it's corrosive and it, it it paralyzes people. That's all true, but to have fear at all, it fulfills an important function. Just that one sentence is uh, is an important one, and the the it's not elaborated on in Inside Out, but it is elaborated on or it's illustrated in an episode of the new Batman Adventures. Uh, the, uh, among the, the animated, uh, series. This is from the ep fourth episode from 1997 called Never Fear. And just a little bit of, of background. Um, one of the, uh, lesser known regular Batman villains is, uh, Scarecrow. Um, he appears in a lot of Batman stories, but he's not as interesting, to be honest, as, uh, the, uh, the Joker and some of the other villains because mostly when he appears in a story, a Batman story, Scarecrow does the same thing every time, which is he tries to uh, 
attack people with his uh, fear gas or fear toxin, uh, which will get people to uh, to be uh, paralyzed, to, to be afraid of him, uh, and then Batman has to stop him. That's the usual plot. Uh, oh no, he's going to poison the uh, the water supply. Everybody will uh, will will be uh, will will stop functioning. They did something different in this episode, and that is in this episode the premise is that Scarecrow has produced an opposite kind of toxin when you, and of of gas. When you breathe it in, you have no fear at all. The way that the episode starts is that somebody is swinging uh, on a, a rope between buildings. And uh, he crashes into something, uh, uh, it endangers people, and he barely even notices he's having a good time. And um, Batman stops him, uh, and, uh, and the guy says, uh, fear is a prison, and I'm free. Uh, he, he has no fear at all, and therefore he acts very recklessly. A little, a little bit later on in the episode, um, uh, Batman gets uh, a taste of this uh, gas, um, and he tells Robin uh, that that it's okay, I, I can handle it. But Robin right away notices that Bat, they're in the Bat plane, that Batman is flying much more recklessly than usual. He's not afraid of messing up the way that usually being afraid of messing up allows you to drive carefully, to fly carefully. Um, and um, And what happens after that it's actually after the scene that we're about to to look at that Batman grabs the scarecrow and he's beating him up his usual thing, but it looks like he's not going to stop. Batman, one one of the things that characterizes Batman, has characterized Batman for almost the entire history of Batman since nineteen thirty nine is that he does not kill. But in this episode it looks like that he doesn't have that inhibition anymore. Oh, apparently it's usually presented as Batman has a moral position that that killing is wrong so he doesn't kill even terrible criminals but the way it's it's presented here is that actually he's afraid of killing people so when he breathes in this no fear gas then Batman suddenly becomes dangerous and he's willing to uh to kill um let's just briefly look at a uh scene from this episode where um Scarecrow presents a uh, sends a message, uh, his ransom message to uh, to the mayor. One second. One second. One second. Okay. Can you see Robin? Okay. Here we go. You'll soon see what Gotham City will be like without fear. It won't be pretty. Batman's tied up. Fear is the glue that holds society together. It's what makes people suppress their worst impulses. Fear is power. And today it will also be quite expensive if you want the antidote. Da, da, da. Okay, let's turn that off. Um, so that uh, that formulation I thought was was pretty interesting. Fear, who's speaking? Scarecrow, who's the 
the villain who uses fear to manipulate people, usually he causes people to be afraid. Here he's causing people to not be afraid. And he says, fear is the glue that holds society together. It makes people, it's what makes people suppress their worst impulses, which ties in to a, a quote, which I did not actually put on the, uh, uh, on the source sheet, but it's a quote from, uh, from Perky Avot. It says, pray for the government, because if not for fear of the government, people would swallow each other up alive. We don't want anarchy. We don't want people to just do whatever they think they can get away with. So one way to appreciate the value of fear is, is that our, on a certain basic level, having fear allows people to act as their best selves. It holds society together. Um, a, uh, a quote uh, um, from, from a famous story, though, this is not the famous part of it, is in source number three of the Gemara and Gittin. This is, the, this is the introduction to the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Because of Kamsa Bar Kamsa, Yerushalayim was destroyed. And a couple of other cities were destroyed because of specific stories. The way that the Gemara introduces this is as follows. Source number three. Rabbi Yochanan says, what's the meaning of the Pasuk in Mishwei? Ashrei Adam Mefached Tamid. Happy is the person who is always afraid. But someone who hardens his heart will fall into evil. Okay, well, hardening the heart, we already know from, from Paro, is, uh, is problematic, but... Why? What's good about being being afraid all the time? The Gemara doesn't explain. It just launches into because of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Rashi on this Gemara, which I copied here, Rashi explains the he he gives the bridge between that quote at the beginning uh, and uh, and Kamsa, what does that have to do with the story? Rashi explains that Mefached here does not mean the literal translation. Afraid, but rather doeg, somebody who's worried, someone who's concerned. We were Odhan Olad, looking at the future, looking at uh, the consequences. Shalot takala b'kach im esezot. A person uh, is the the pasuk is is praising somebody who's always quote unquote afraid, meaning they're always concerned about the possible repercussions of their actions, and therefore not literally afraid, but concerned enough to make sure to make decisions based on what, what the consequences will be. And in the story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa, uh, at least two or, th- if not all three, of the major players make that mistake. They make a decision based on what looks good at the time, and terrible consequences result because they haven't thought about the consequences of their actions. So this Pasuk does not, according to this Gemara, does not mean it's good to be literally afraid, but... It's good to be afraid in the sense of hold yourself back, check, think about, make sure that you don't rush into something that will end up being problematic. Um, and the, I thought it was fascinating. I just found this uh, uh, this week that one of the commentaries on uh, on this pasuk, uh, one of the Rishonim, Rav Yosef Kimchi, uh, he asks, wait, wait, I don't understand. How can this pasuk say happy is the person who's afraid all the time? But there's another pasuk in literally one parak away in Mishlei that says, "Cherdat Adam Yitain Mokesh." A person's uh, fear becomes a uh, a trap uh, for him. Uh, only the one who uh, who trusts in God will be uh, will be secure. So, which one is it? Is it is it good to be afraid or not good to be afraid? According to Mishlei, 
So Rabbi Kimchi explains, presumably based on this Gemara, that the, the Pasuk, happy is the person who's quote-unquote afraid all the time, that's before you're in the situation. Happy is the person who foresees the consequences of his action, he's worried about the consequences before doing it. But when is fear bad? When you're in it. When you're actually in the situation and you need to get out of that situation, then fear is crippling, can be crippling, can be paralyzing. When you're in the situation, that's when you need to overcome your, your fear. Um, there's one more aspect of, of Yira that, uh, in the sense of, of fear, uh, that is classically a good thing according to Torah sources. Just mention it briefly. That's in source number five, and that is Yira Hashem. When we, when we say, quote unquote, fear of God, the Malbim in source number five explains that there are three different aspects of this, three different things that are meant by fear of God. One of them is Yirata Onesh, fear of punishment. Oh, well, I don't want to uh, go to jail. Uh, I don't want God to put me in hell, so I'll, I'll do the right thing for that reason. That's, that, that's a type of Yira, and that's good, although the Rambam says it's a very low level. Then there's Yirata Romamut, which is... Uh, better translated, not fear, but awe, awe of God's greatness. How can I do anything wrong when God is so great? Um, that's a high level, but there's a middle level, the Malvim says, and that's the one, uh, that's what we call Yirat Chet, literally fear of sin. Why are you afraid of sin? Because you're embarrassed. You don't want to be embarrassed. You wouldn't want people to see you sinning. So the Gemara says you should also not want God to see you sinning. These are all a type of fear in a good way. Having said that, we're now done with fear as a good thing. Now we'll talk about how fear is often a bad thing. Rabbi Shlomo Loba, uh, in source number six, he is best known, he uh, was a mashkiach ruchani, best known for his uh, insightful Musser books called Ale Shur. Uh, he actually, before, he was, he was originally from a uh, secular family. He studied psychology and physics at the University of Berlin, but then he dropped out of college to go to yeshiva. Why am I uh, emphasizing this? Because... He was exceptionally insightful. Of all the Musser books, this is the one that, or one of the ones that is most psychologically astute. And he wrote an essay called Psychiatry and Religion um, in the journal Bishvilei Harafua, in which he suggests that if you, tr if you are a truly religious person, meaning not just somebody who belongs to the Orthodox community and goes through the, the motions, um, but somebody who has a relationship with God, then your, your basic um, understanding of the world, your basic feeling of your place in the world should be bitachon, uh, security. As it says in, in the Psukim, uh, we say this in, in Havdalah, Hinei kel Yeshuati, God is my uh, redeemer, God is my uh, salvation. Evtach v'lochad, I will trust in God and I will not be afraid. Those are opposites. If you trust in God, then you're not afraid of everything else in the world. Rabbi Volba suggests that, uh, that that's, if, you, if you have that kind, a good relationship with God, then you don't have any, uh, you shouldn't be a fearful person. In contrast, he says, in the modern secular world, um, there's so much reason to fear. If you live in a godless world, in a material world, that is fertile ground for, uh, for fear. He quotes Heidegger, uh, not a friend of the Jews, uh, as saying that, that fear is the most basic feeling of, of a human being uh, in the world. That's a very uh, depressing way uh, to look at it. 
uh, Rabbi Volba suggests, theorizes, that it is a global loss of faith in God that has contributed to the spread of uh, fear, existential fear, in uh, uh, in the world as as we know it. You don't have to agree with it, but I thought that was uh, that was pretty interesting. Um, two more sources before we go back to uh, uh, popular culture. Two more sources about um, how does fear of God relate to fear of other things? Uh, here on page two, we're uh, I'm going to summarize two sources by Rabbi Salvechik, both starting from the same perspective, but then going in different directions. Uh, the first one is in English. Al-Hachuva was translated into English as On Repentance. The second one um, from, from his book, Yemezi Karon, has not been translated into English. So let, let's just formulate what, what was the problem. And look at the top right of, of uh, page two. A very eminent psychiatrist once said to me, Rabbi Salvechik uh, said, had I the authority to do so, I would eliminate the prayer recited on the High Holy Days that begins with the words, Uvechein tein pachtecha. God, we want you to, to put your fear on everybody. The psychiatrist said, fear is the major cause of the mental illnesses that beset mankind. To preserve your mental health, you should be free of fear. So like, why, why are we praying for it? So Rabbi Salvechik thought about it, and he came up with an answer, which he himself later changed his mind, but this, uh, but this is what, what Rabbi Salvechik suggested. But he told the psychiatrist, everyone seems to be beset with fears of all kinds. He gives a list of things that everybody's uh, afraid of, losing their jobs, getting sick. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, he says, but I do know that one major source of fear can wipe out all of these lesser fears. And he ends up saying the same thing Rabbi Volba said, which is the fear of God. If we fear God properly, that should free us from all those uh, other fears. That was Rabbi Salvechik's first answer, which corresponds with what Rabbi Volba wrote. I'm pretty sure they came to this uh, independently. But Rabbi Salvechik then uh, later wrote in source number eight, uh, I put this in smaller print at the beginning of, of Source 8. He tells the same story, what the psychiatrist asked him, and what he, Rabbi Salvechik, answered. And then he goes on to say, but after I thought about it some more, I changed my mind. I decided that even though the, the formulation in the Machzer is, Tain pachtecha, it can't be taken literally. Ein anu mitzpahalim lepachat. It cannot be that we're asking God for fear. Why not? He says, because there are two words, there are two types of fear, and that's what I'm going to summarize. This is the rest of what Rabbi Salvechik talks about. Two types of fear. There's pachad and yira. Both of them are translated as fear. Rabbi Salvechik says, emotionally, they're actually opposites of each other. He points out that in Tanakh, when like we speak, awe and terror? Uh, yeah, or even awe and fear. Fear meaning fear, and uh, yira, in the sense, not being fear, but being awe. He says, for example, there are several places in, uh, in the Chumash where it speaks about the mitzvah to fear God. But the way it's formulated is not literally be afraid, but it translates into have be in awe of God. And he says an even better example, well, he doesn't say a better example. He says another example. I'm saying a better example is, Ishimovavivtirau. A person should not only honor their parents, according to the Chumash, they also have to be in awe of their parents, as form, the Gemara explains, not that you're afraid of your parents, but you're supposed to treat them 
with a type of awe, that means, for example, you don't sit in their seat, etc. You don't call them by their first name. You could argue about the, the, the details. But the idea is that you're, you're not overly familiar with your parents because, because you're in awe of them. Rabbi Selvachik says it never says the word pachad describing our relationship with God or our relationship w- with our parents. Where do we find pachad? Let me just finish this point. Where do we find pachad? In, we find it in the klalot, in the, uh, the curses. If you reject God, then all these terrible things will happen to you. And among the terrible things that, uh, that will happen are upacharata laylaviyomam. You'll be afraid. And Rabbi Savitchik says, that's, that's literal fear. Or he, he, he's now going to elaborate. Because if I, if I stopped here, I'd say, you know, I've heard this before. We've all heard this before. The difference between uh, fear, Yerat Hashem is not literally fear, but it means awe. Rabbi Salvechik suggests that, um, that pachad is not just ordinary fear. Pachad is actually a phobia. He argues that the word yira can include not only awe, but it can include fear as well if it's a rational fear, if it's an understandable fear, as in there's a, there's a pandemic, and if you're not afraid, well, then you'll act recklessly and endanger yourself and endanger other people. It is a rational fear to say, oh, well, I don't want to get sick and I don't want to make other people sick, therefore I'm going to follow all these rules. He says, that's very different from a phobia. A phobia is when you don't know what you're afraid of or who you're afraid of. You can't even explain it, but you can't function. And he says, not just literal phobias, but sometimes the world is overtaken by a, a mass irrational fear. And the example that he remembers from his youth was in the 1920s and 30s, Rabbi Soloveitchik suggests, the Western world, England in particular, they were so irrationally afraid of the Soviet Union, the new Soviet Union, that they're willing to make whatever concessions were necessary to this newcomer who was willing to take on the Soviet Union, namely this guy Hitler. And Rabbi Salvechik says that England in particular uh, made concessions to Hitler because of an irrational fear of of the uh, of the Soviet Union, and that there's nothing good to be said about irrational fear. He suggests that Yira is a good kind of fear. It, it doesn't have to be awe, but uh, it can be awe. A good kind of fear where you know what you're afraid of and you know what to do about it. As long as you are still rational, that's the kind of fear that um, uh, that is good. And Rabbi Savitcha concludes, even though the formulation in the Machzor is it should not be understood as pachad, but rather as uh, as yura. Okay, um, who wanted to say uh, yeah, something? It, Go ahead. Doesn't pachad yitzchak refer to God? Um, it does. Uh, it does, but um, that is it's a problematic because everywhere everywhere that it's it's uh, formulated in a in the uh, in command form, everybody should fear God. It's always Yura. So Pachad is a problem. I mean, even if you didn't have all of this, it would be like, well, that's very weird. Why is Yitzchak described as having Pachad of God? And that's, it is a problem. But it's not a problem just because of this. It's a problem in, in general because it doesn't fit with the Pesukim. But, but yes, you, you, are, uh, you are correct. That is a good point. Um, the, somebody, uh, 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 Commented. Yes, I see uh, Mark wrote in uh, in the chat. 
How about the famous quote from Rav Nachman of Breslov? It's actually the famous misquote of Rav Nachman of Breslov. Uh, that is every, the famous song. It goes on that the whole world is Gesher Tsar Ma'od, a very narrow bridge. Ikar, and the main thing is, it says the song, Lo Yifached Klal, do not be afraid at all. The problem is, this is not something that was handed down in oral tradition from Rav Nachman of Breslov. This is written in his book, his only, I think his only, one of his only written works. And over a very narrow bridge, Shalo Yitpached Klal. That's not the same thing. Means don't make yourself afraid. So what's the difference? So as uh, presented by uh, Rabbi David Ebner, who he was the Mashkiach Ruchni at Yeshiva Hamivtar uh, uh, when I learned there, and he's now Mashkiach Ruchni at Yeshiva Eretz Hatzvi. He's also uh, one of the only two rabbis I'm aware of alive today who has published uh, books of poetry. Interesting, uh, um, interesting perspective. Um, the, so he, Rabbi Ebner, uh, quotes this line from uh, Rav Nachman, and he says, the difference between the coward and the hero, and this is going to tie into what we're, we're going to see later quotes, the difference between the coward and the hero is not something outside of them, but rather something internal. The world does not make us afraid. We make ourselves afraid. Rabbi Nachman's language is precise and contains the essence of survival the rule is not not to fear, but rather not to make oneself afraid. And that ties in very much with not seeing the, uh, the quotes uh, just now, but I, we haven't gotten to that quote, but I'll just mention it about uh, the, uh, the, the monster, type of monster in the Harry Potter uh, books and movies, uh, the Bogart, where a Bogart, is a shapeshifter. It takes the shape of whatever it thinks will frighten you. It reads your mind, and then it appears, it, it, it reads what you are afraid of, and then appears to you as that in order to scare you. So that's actually, Bogart fits very well with this uh, interpretation of Rav Nachman of Breslov. Uh, through the Bogart, we make ourselves afraid. Uh, and it's very different to say, oh, just don't be afraid of it. Yeah, but it, it's presenting itself with the thing that I fear most. So that's going to be a challenge. Let's, let's hold off on, on Bogart and talk about horror. Horror is a uh, subsection, uh, a subgenre within, uh, within fantasy fiction. I personally am not a big fan of it, but uh, one thing that many people, including myself, wonder about is, why would anybody want to scare themselves? Why would anybody want to see something that will um, shock them, terrify them, gross them out? Um, so uh, I read this book uh, by Stephen King, uh, which it's, it's funny that when, when he wrote, he wrote this, uh, this book in 1981, Dance Macabre, uh, literally the, the, the dance of, uh, of death, uh, when he had only published several books. Of course, three of them had already been made, been made into movies. He basically got started in the mid-70s. Uh, by now, um, Stephen King's books have sold more than 350 million copies. He's written over 60 novels, plus five nonfiction uh, books and 200 short stories. Incredibly pr uh, prolific. And 
He wrote this book in order to give his answer to the question of um, what's the point of horror? What's horror about anyway? And he gives basically an overview, not of all of horror throughout history, but mostly in the 30 years from more or less 1950 through 1980. But he also covers stuff from, from before uh, and all sorts of insightful stuff. It's not an academic work. Um, and uh, it's more like you're like sitting down with uh, and to chat with him. Uh, it's it's very accessible. Um, and he says a lot of things in this book. One quote that I want to share with you is he refers to the idea that other people have said, apparently a bunch of people have said this, that movies are the dreams of mass culture. And you could there's a lot to a lot of different directions you can go in. What it, what's the significance? How is a movie like a dream? Movies are like you know, instead you've heard of Jung's collective unconscious. So this is a a variation on that. That that dreams are a collective. Sorry, movies are a collective dream of of the culture. In which case, maybe horror movies are the nightmares of the mass culture. Well, why would anybody want to go want to put themselves into a nightmare? So he suggests. For starters, to, to show that we're not afraid, to show that we can ride this roller coaster, which just raises, raises the issue of why would anybody want to go on a roller coaster? But apparently, a lot of people, many, many people enjoy roller coasters. And, um, and one of the suggestions to explain why people enjoy roller coasters is the, it feels like you're going to die, but then you don't die. You know that you're safe. You know you're strapped in uh, properly. And when when it's over, then you feel tremendous uh, tremendous uh, relief. And um, and that that yeah, that other people have suggested uh, as well. It's formulated here at source number thirteen um, that uh, a uh, a cathartic effect. The pleasure comes from the relief that follows. Uh, it, it gives you emotional release and escape from the real world of bills and mortgages, etc. Uh, in the interest of time, I'm, I'm going to uh, skip the other thing from Stephen King, but I recommend also, see, when you get a chance, look at source number 12, which is what he wrote earlier in 1978, the forward to his very first short story collection. And he refers to it in the book, uh, Dance Macabre. Um, I like the way that Terry Pratchett formulated it. He's one of my favorite authors. I read all of the uh, 41 uh, Discworld novels, unusual combination of fantasy and, uh, and humor. And he wrote, Terry Pratchett, uh, he has a collection of, of nonfiction, and one of the essays there is an essay about his friend Neil Gaiman, who co-wrote Good Omens uh, with him. And he writes about uh, a paragraph about the book Coraline. When I read Cor by Neil Gaiman, uh, Terry Pratchett writes, when I read Coraline, I remembered that children's stories are indeed where true horror lives. My childhood nightmares would have been quite featureless without the imaginings of Walt Disney. By the way, Stephen King has a whole section on that in, in his book about uh, how fairy tales, classic fairy tales, often have a lot of horror elements. Anyway, Pratchett, there's a few little details concerning black button eyes in the book Coraline. It makes a small part of the adult brain want to go and hide behind the sofa. But the purpose of the book is not the horror, it's horror's defeat, which... You can't say that about every work of fiction, of horror, book or movie, but a lot of them, a lot of them, maybe even the majority, end in the defeat of, um, of, the, uh, of the horror. Um, whereas uh, G.K. Chesterton put it about, about fairy tales. The, the point is not that there's a dragon. The point is that 
the uh, the knight, the brave knight or whoever, kills the dragon. That you read about it in order to in order to uh, vicariously get rid of that that particular evil. Anyway, let's talk about overcoming fear with laughter. Now, to be honest. There are a lot of quotes about facing your fears and overcoming your fears and confronting your fears. And I have a bunch of these quotes on the, uh, on the page. But most of the people whom I've found talking about it don't really talk about how. How are you supposed to do that? So um, Ray Bradbury, I don't know if he came up with the idea, but he wrote this idea in, in, uh, in the last part of Something Wicked This Way Comes a horror novel that, that, that he wrote near the end of the book when the good guys, good guys are finally overcoming the bad guys. Um, the, uh, there's the, the kid and his dad, and the dad realizes that these evil people, they like crying. So we need to get off your knees, whoop and holler, laugh. And uh, because the father has realized that, he kind of accidentally was able to beat uh, the witch Evil, evil character who's trying to kill him um, by laughing. Um, and, and he says, the night people can't stand it. A single smile. The night people can't stand it. The sun's there. They, they hate the sun. We can't take them seriously. In other words, uh, it's not just that a lot of horror takes place in the dark. Stephen King has a whole section on that uh, in his book. But that um, fear is about the dark dark side of ourselves or what we what we are afraid are are what we are afraid is in the dark out there or inside either one you combat the the dark with the light and specifically emotionally if the question is how do you do that but if you can get yourself to smile and laugh then that can drive the uh, the fears away um and this is elaborated on by Dr. Shira uh Wolosky, um who is uh uh, professor of English and American Studies at uh, Hebrew U. In her book, The Riddles of Harry Potter, and she talks about the Bogart. We mentioned before from Harry Potter uh, series, the Bogart is itself an allegorical figure of fear. Like fear, it works in dark places. Um, the, uh, there's a chapter titled Bogart in the Wardrobe, which plays on the saying, the skeleton in the closet. Bogarts take different shapes because people are afraid of different things. Skip, skip, skip. Um, this is a fear as something interior that we project onto external objects or situations. As we said is the idea of Rav Nachman, we make ourselves afraid. That's dramatized by the very fact that the Bagar takes so many shapes. Anything can be fearful if we are afraid of it. And then she, uh, Professor Wolofsky goes on to say, the Bogart is a brilliant way of representing fear, and more brilliant still is Rowan's magical way of combating it. What's the counter spell for the Bogart? The thing that finishes Bogart is laughter. You need to imagine a shape for, that forces it to assume a shape that you find amusing and then shout the spell ridiculous, uh, which sounds more like English than, uh, than Latin, but okay. Uh, laughter is a way to free yourself from the fear. This is true psychologically, no less than magically. Um, so that's, it's therapeutic, in a, meaning not just in fiction. Even just visualizing fear as if it were a bogart helps us to face it and to deflate it. If we can, the question is, how do you do that? I'm sure there, that, that's not going to be so easy either. But to be able to laugh that punctures the uh, th that looking at the fear as uh, as ridiculous. 
Again, I'm not sure exactly how to do that, but I thought that was a fascinating idea, which is now famous because of J.K. Rowling. But as Stephen King pointed out, Ray Bradbury uh, mentioned it, came up with it, or at least popularized it in Something Wicked uh, This Way Comes. Let's skip to uh, source number 18, which is a quote from a book that, uh, an article, but it became famous because it was paraphrased in the film, The Princess Diaries. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than one's fear. To take action when one is not afraid is easy. To refrain when afraid is also easy. To take action regardless of fear, that's brave. And this is illustrated in the book uh, Number of the Stars, uh, in which, and this is near the end of the book, uh, non-Jews, including one girl in particular, uh, in Denmark, they help smuggle Jews to freedom to escape the, uh, the Nazis. And then the, uh, uh, the hero, uh, she has a conversation with her uncle afterwards, and he says that you were so very brave. And she says, no, I wasn't. I was very frightened. You risked your life, but I didn't even think about that. And he interrupts her. That's all that brave means, not thinking about the dangers just thinking about what you must do. Of course you were frightened, but you kept your mind on what you had to do. In other words, as, and I've seen this variations on this quote at least, um, at least uh, a dozen uh, places, that being brave does not mean that you aren't afraid. It's that you do what you have to do even though you are uh, afraid. And who says this in Torah? The one who says this in Torah is the Abarbanel. Source number number 20. I got the reference from uh, Rabbi Avi Weiss uh, in his book that's going to be on the next page, uh, uh, source number 21, that the Abarbanel says about, um, about Yaakov at the beginning of Parshat Vayishlach, uh, when he hears that his, uh, his estranged brother Esav, whom he hasn't seen in 20 years since, he, since Esav was going to kill him, suddenly Esav is showing up with an army says, Vayira Yaakov Ma'od Vayetzer Lo. Yaakov was very afraid. So, um, uh, Benel, go over that Ira is usually mentioned in the Tanakh as reverence or awe? So, so it could be, in this particular Pasuk, it could be that Vayira is, he had a rational fear, but Vayetzer Lo, that it's that, it's the that's the extra level, Vayetzer. How often does that appear? So Vayetzer could be the, the extra level, that he was exceptionally afraid. Maybe that's the equivalent of Pachat. I would have to check uh, further to see how, uh, how Vayetzer uh, is used. Um, so the Barbanel says, if Yaakov had no fear at all of Esau, and he marched to meet Esau, that would not be impressive. Big deal. He was, why did he go? Because he wasn't afraid. What's impressive about Yaakov, in other words, Abarbanel says, the Torah is, wants us to be impressed with Yaakov. That's why it tells us how much he was afraid. Because the fear that Yaakov has, had was hakoach hachiyuni, the, like, the um, uh, instinctive, uh, our animal side. Like, there's something scary out there. Uh, our, our instinct is to run in the opposite direction. And he says, Yaakov, what's impressive about Yaakov was that even though, of course, he wanted to run away, he didn't run away. He came up with, with different strategies. Uh, and the Barbanel says it's, it's, the, uh, it's the equivalent of the famous Medrash that says, a person shouldn't say, oh, I would never want to eat pork. Um, 
Say, no, no, no. Say, I want to eat pork, but I'm not going to because God told me not to. There's nothing wrong with wanting to. The main thing is doing the right thing. So there's nothing, so too, the Barbanel says, there's nothing wrong with the fact that Yaakov was afraid. Fear itself is not a problem. It's that Yaakov functioned. He did what he needed to do despite the fear, or to put in uh, terms of, uh, from uh, Number of the Stars, Yaakov just kept his mind on what, uh, on what he needed to do. Um, moving on to, uh, to page five, um, the uh, but great line from A Wrinkle in Time, only a fool is, uh, is not afraid. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Divergent, a uh, young adult uh, book, which is the first book of a, uh, of a trilogy. Um, it's, uh, I don't usually read uh, young adult dystopian novels. Uh, there's a lot of them out there, uh, but this, this was especially recommended to me. And I found the uh, uh, books very, very uh, violent, and I certainly would not want to, uh, to watch the, uh, the movies. But, first of all, I liked um, Allegiant the best, which is the third book, and generally people like the first book don't like the, uh, the last book. It, it went in a totally different direction. But what's the premise? The premise of Divergent is there's a city. Uh, everybody lives in, in the city where there are five factions, and you choose, uh, when you come of age, you have to choose which faction you're going to join, and the five factions are based on Midot. So here we are, Midot in pop culture. Um, let's see if I remember correctly. Uh, abnegation, which is roughly uh, Anava, uh, Shiflut, feeling, uh, feeling lowly, um, Bountiful, which is the equivalent of, uh, of Chesed, um, uh, candor, which is the equivalent of, of emet, uh, being honest. Uh, dauntless, which is uh, gvura. We're going to come back to that because that's the, the main characters are in Dauntless. And uh, an erudite is the equivalent of chachma. Um, because this is a dystopian novel, all, all of the factions, to one extent or another, have broken down uh, before, already by the time that the novel starts, meaning they have great ideas. Each one focuses on how great their, their Mida is. The problem is all of these Midot can be uh, distorted. Um, and that's, I guess you could say that's a message of, uh, of these books in general. Just because something's good doesn't mean it's always good. So the, um, the, the faction where most of the action takes place is, is Dauntless. Dauntless means means fearless. Um, it, unlike, let's say, uh, um, Gryffindor, uh, the House of Gryffindor in Harry Potter, um, it doesn't focus on being brave. It's more like overcoming your fears. And uh, one of the uh, uh, statements about what they believe, what this faction believes, earlier in the book, by the way, the sources uh, 24 and 25 are in the book, not the movie. Um, I did not watch the movie, but I read the transcript just to make sure. Uh, we believe one of the main characters whose name is, his nickname is Four, because he only has four fears, every, according to the book. Most people have between 10 and 15 fears. But this guy, Tobias, he only has four. Wow, that's really impressive. So they call him Four. Anyway, so he says, he explains to Trist, the other main character, we believe that preparation eradicates cowardice, which we define as the failure to act in the midst of fear. Notice, not that cowardice is being afraid. Cowardice is not acting, not doing what you know you should do, 
because you're afraid. And this is elaborated on much later in the book, towards number 25, where Tris asks for, so that the fears don't go away when they talk about the simulation, which will, uh, actually, I think I'm going to skip the simulation. So the fears don't go away. Sometimes they do. Sometimes new fears replace them. But becoming fearless isn't the point, which is what you would have thought based on the name of the faction. That's impossible. It's learning how to control your fear and how to be free from it. That's the point. And the narrator, Tris, says, I nod. I used to think the Dauntless were fearless. That's how they seemed. But maybe what I saw as fearless was actually fear under control. That's a fascinating point, that there's no point in trying to get rid of your fears. The point is acting despite them. That's, that's an important uh, point. And with this, I want to come to Defending Your Life, a comedy, not the kind of la uh, laugh-out-loud comedy, but amusing comedy, which has an interesting point. And if we were having a class about the afterlife in pop culture, this might be one of the examples. At the very beginning of the film, this is a Wikipedia entry uh, that summarizes it. If you don't want to watch the movie, please read the rest of the summary, which has all the spoilers. Um, anyway, the main character has died, and he's in the afterlife, but it's not heaven or hell. He discovers that um, he's in Judgment City. What's Judgment City? So let's, uh, let me play you a, uh, a clip. Uh, just a minute. Of a scene in which his appointed uh, defender uh, explains to him what's uh, what's going on. Uh, just a minute. Where did this go? Nineteen twenty-four. Oh, there it is. Okay. Setting this up. And and now sharing. Sorry, it gets more complicated when uh, when you share from multiple uh, films. Okay, here we go. The main character is in, in white. What are you looking at? What's wrong? You. You look good in that tupa. Some people don't, but you. Oops. Oops. Sorry. Sorry. I accidentally just clicked on the wrong thing. Oops. That was a mistake. Let me go back. Uh, one second. Nineteen. Yeah. Sorry about that. So, is this what you thought it would be? Thought what would be? Where am I? Is this heaven? No, it isn't heaven. Is it hell? No, it isn't hell either. Actually, there is no hell. Although I hear Los Angeles is getting pretty close. Ah, ah. Albert Brooks is the guy on the left. Well, Daniel, let me tell you what's going on. When you're born into this universe, this is Rip Torn, for a long, the actor. Long you have many different lifetimes, and after each lifetime, there's an examining period which you're in now. You see, every second of every lifetime is always recorded, and as each one ends, we sort of look at it. Look at a few of the days, examine it, and then if everybody agrees, you move forward. What do you mean move forward? I mean move forward, continue onward. The point of this whole thing is to keep getting smarter, to, to keep growing, to use as much of your brain as possible. For example, I use 48% of my brain. You know how much you use? 47? <laughs> Three. 
I'm sorry? Happy? Is 3% of my brain? Yes, don't worry about it. Everybody on Earth uses 3% of the brain. <laughs> 3 to 5%. That's why they're there. 3? 3%? 3%? You mean nobody on Earth uses more than that? When you use more than 5% of your brain, you don't want to be on Earth, believe me. <laughs> well, not that your takeout places aren't lovely, but there are many more exciting destinations for smarter people. Now, being from Earth as you are and using as little of your brain as you do, your life has pretty much been devoted to dealing with fear. Uh, it has? Well, everybody on Earth deals with fear. That's what little brains do. What are little brains? That's what we call you folks behind your back. <laughs> Forgive me. Who are you? Well, I'm just like you. I was on Earth a long time ago. But I advanced. I moved forward. I got over my fears, and I got smarter. Did you have friends whose stomachs hurt? Every one of them. It's fear. Fear is like a giant fog. Ooh. It sits on your brain and blocks everything. Real feelings, true happiness, real joy. They can't get through that fog. But you lift it, and buddy, you're in for the ride of your life. Wow. That's a fascinating formulation which explains why in this movie when you are judged and they show you your life or scenes from your life and then discuss that and and did you do the right thing in that uh in that scene you've probably heard rabbis presenting this at some point imagine yoma din is like you're seeing your life as, as a movie according to this movie according to this movie defending your life the only thing that they care about when they judge you after this life is fear. The only thing. That's a little, that's something that we can part ways with this movie and say, uh, actually fear is not the only important thing. Uh, okay, but this, it's a Hollywood movie. It's presented as, it's not religious per se. So, but the point is that the way that we can get on board with the way it presents, what's the problem with fear? That uh, what the, the lawyer just, the, whatever, the defender, uh, the way that he put it is that it's it's a fog. It it blocks you from doing what you want to do. It blocks you from being the best that you could be. And consequently, since according to this movie, the the purpose of this life is to get to the next life, wherever that is, and they're very vague about where that what that is, but it's not Earth. The, you are judged based on whether you succeeded in conquering your fears. And what drives the plot of this movie is that it becomes clear pretty quickly that the main character, Daniel, has done a terrible job on Earth of conquering his fears. But he falls in love there in Judgment City with, uh, with an amazing uh, person played by Meryl Streep, uh, who did an amazing job of conquering her fears. So the problem is she's going to move on and he's going to be sent back to Earth. Can they be together? Yes, it's a Hollywood movie, so of course there is a, uh, a happy ending. But I thought there was just such a, uh, a good way to formulate it. I mean, yes, it's tied into the brain and how what percentage is the brain, and you could argue about that. But that um, you've probably heard... Um, Ashir at some point about how the worst Mida, the worst character trait is Gava, is arrogance, because pride ruins you and, and 
leads you to all sorts of terrible things. You might have heard a shear like that. You might have also heard a shear that says, the worst Mida is chaos, is anger, because with anger, you're out of control. It's like a Vodazara, and there are sources to back up both of these. This, I think, this approach, the background of, of, the, this, of this movie, Defending Your Life, is saying the equivalent, that fear, the way that, meaning not overcoming our fears, giving into our fears, uh, not doing what we need to do because of, uh, of, of, of our fears, um, that, that, that makes fear the worst mida, or that makes the not overcoming our fears the, uh, uh, the worst mida. I feel like the, all, in each case, whether you're talking about gava or kaas or, uh, or pachad, this is an exaggeration to make a point, but it does make a point. And as far as that goes, uh, according to Defending Your Life, this, like, it, uh, pachad takes its place in the pantheon, if you, if you will, uh, for lack of a better word, of, um, of midot that are the worst. Um, the, uh, maybe that's why, uh, back in source number 27, maybe that's why, uh, the, uh, this paragraph from, uh, one, uh, one of the first pages of Dune is so popular. Uh, Dune, uh, the, the novel was, uh, written back in 1965. It was made into a movie in 1984 and they're making it into a movie, uh, again. At the release date is, uh, next October. Um, no, no. Um, one second. It's funny that the, the, the boundaries, uh, the boundaries between them are, uh, no, no, this is going to be released in, in theaters, in, uh, in IMAX and in 3D. Uh, oh. it, it will be the first of a two planned two-part adaptation. In other words, the movie that going coming to theaters is supposed to cover the first half of uh, of the book. I know we're so used to TV adaptations these days, and then you can have as many episodes uh, as you want. Was, some of them were good until the final stretch. <laughs> I know there's a lot to talk about there, but I just thought it was interesting that even people who are not familiar with Dune might have seen uh, this paragraph this is the litany against fear. And the main character is put to the test on page eight as a boy, but he passes the test um, by repeating these words. Killer. I'm not sure how well this works in practice, but it's an inspirational, I guess a lot of people find it inspirational as a, uh, as a way of saying, um, my goal is to is to overcome uh, my fears. I don't know if you gave me a choice between a uh, uh, letting it pass over me and through me, or laughing at it. I would choose laughing at it, but I guess uh, I guess there, there are different approaches to uh, to therapy. Um, it, uh, just to uh, before we, we wrap it up, there's this uh, essay um, by Ed Simon. Uh, that I, I uploaded to, to the uh, website if anybody wants to go through it. It's more about in, uh, in films. It's called Jewish Horror, and it contrasts uh, ideas uh, from Judaism and Christianity and how they have been or, or might have been uh, played out in, uh, in horror movies. Um, anyway, our, uh, our time is, uh, is up. Uh, I want to thank everybody for, uh, um, uh, for joining us. And... Um, 
and I want to invite everybody to uh, come back next week for uh, the topic of loneliness, loneliness in, uh, uh, in pop culture. Uh, I'm going to end the recording now, and then I'll go over the other chat, and uh, if anybody wants to say anything after that. So um, once again, thanks for, uh, for joining me, and uh, Shabbat Shalom and happy learning.